On this episode of Jesus, Sex, and Politics, we have Christy Stutzman, a friend of the show, live at our God is Greater Than Government conference. She brings an amazing word on what to do to make a difference in our culture when it comes to having a great impact on the public square. Christy has been a longtime representative, and her husband, Marlon, has been a U.S. representative. They are big movers and shakers in the state of Indiana that know how to stand for truth in our culture. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Let's go. Hey, welcome to the Jesus, Sex, and Politics podcast. I'm Micah. I'm Nathan. And here we talk about all the things the culture doesn't want to talk about. And that might scare you. Tonight, I want to welcome... Uh, Christy Stutzman with us, and uh, it's such an honor to have you. Would you please come? She uh, is, is, has been our state rep. She has a huge heart to serve, has, has done so for many years, and uh, it really is a joy to have you. This is her husband, Marlon, and we'll get to hear from him in just a little bit. Would you go ahead and, and bring a word for Thank us? Thank you so much. You need it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It is great to be here. I tell you what, I've been looking forward to coming down here for quite a, mo- a while and being here at Micah and Nathan's church, is like I like to call it. Um, they are just wonderful pastors, and I'm just so thankful for their testimony across our state and what they're doing and for their stand. I'm so thankful for their stand. I think I saw Cindy Noe walk in. Cindy, are you here? There she is. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> Cindy has served us so well in the state. I just want to give her a round of applause as well. She has just been... So good to see you. Well, tonight I wanted to share just some, uh, some thoughts from my heart about uh, how to be effective. And I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here at this church, but if you can take some of the things that I share with you and share it with your friends and neighbors um, and just spread the word and share little bits and pieces, uh, each one of us can make a difference in our, in our communities and in our neighborhoods. So, and that's what America's all about, right? So the, the, tonight I want to share uh, just a couple thoughts with you um, and it has to do with what's behind me. It says, but I don't do politics. How many of you have ever heard someone say that? But I don't do politics, right? Right. So we've heard that a lot. And I think if you're here tonight, I think uh, you take part in some way or you're interested in taking part in some way. So thank you for being here. Um, you know, I have to tell you a little funny story. Um, we never planned on being like as involved in politics as we ended up being, but God opens doors and you step through by faith and you do what he says to do. And so in the morning when a door would open up, we'd, Marlon and I would look at each other and we'd say, oh, well, here we go and step through and just follow by faith. Uh, but you know, we, we ran, um, a state rep campaign was the first campaign that we ran. And uh, that was so fun. We did 15 parades, all kinds of fairs and festivals, and took our, our little son, Peyton, who was uh, about a year and a half at the time, all over the place. And uh, he was our little campaign, uh, I guess, mascot. Um, put t-shirts on and everything else, and it was so fun as a family to do that. But we learned a lot along the way. And the Lord led my husband to run for state rep and then state senate, and then eventually U.S. Senate and Congress. And he served in Congress for six years. He was 
elected to Congress in a special election, and in, in those situations, uh, usually you're sworn in at, in mass, you know, in Congress. So they all raise their hands and they take the oath all together in the, the House chamber. But in this situation, we were going to be, Marlon was going to be the only one sworn in that day because it was a special election. And wouldn't you know, we had been on the campaign trail and our little sons, we have two sons, by the way, Peyton and Preston, 21 and 16 now, but at the time they were eight and four. And they had heard a lot of things on the campaign trail as children here. And they had heard this name, Nancy Pelosi. Well, wouldn't you know, Nancy Pelosi was still the speaker when we were going to be sworn in that morning. And I hadn't thought about it until the morning Marlon was going to be sworn in, that my two little boys were going to be on the House chamber floor, and I was going to be in the balcony watching, because I wasn't allowed to be on the House floor, only children under the age of 16. And so they were going to hold the Bible for Daddy, and they were going to help him be sworn in. But the thing I didn't think about was the fact that we were going to meet Nancy Pelosi afterwards in a special media availability. And as we're walking to the Capitol, I said, boys, this morning, Daddy's going to be sworn in, and you're going to hold the Bible, and went through the whole thing. And I said, but you're going to meet a lady. Her name is Nancy Pelosi. Well, there was silence. And, uh, and I said, well, we're not going to say a whole lot. We're going to smile, and we're going to be nice. And they said, yes, ma'am. And about 10 seconds later, my son Peyton, who was eight at the time, looked at me. He said, I know what I'm going to say to Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, 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 we're not going to say anything. We're just going to say hi and shake hands. And it was an interesting meeting. Let's just say that. But they, they behaved and it, we, we got through it okay. But children absorb things. Children watch. They're learning everything you do. They are watching you. And they're learning from what you do and what you say and how you act. And it's so important to know our history and where we've come from and where we should be going. And when we look back and say, have we veered off the path? Okay, how do we get back on? Where's our guiding North Star? Where is God leading? Where is his light shining? And follow that. Um, and so it's so important for our children to set a good example. And in this day and age that we live in, they are being consumed and filled with so much bad information, inundated with the wrong things that we cannot overcompensate enough at home with the right teaching. And where does that start? It starts with us knowing it. We have to know it. And so tonight I want to share with you the correlation between the great revivals and movements of God and the founding of America, and the influence that it had on policy, on protecting our God-given rights throughout our history. Because as I study it, it's amazing to see how God brings revival and God moves in the hearts of men. And after that movement, it could be 10, it could be 20, it could be 30, it could be 50 years later, you see the fruition, you see the fruit of God's working in hearts that were open to his leading. And I really have been praying, and Marlon has been, we have, as a family, have been praying for many years that God would send great revival to our land, because that's where it starts. It starts in our hearts, in the hearts of God's people, because he says, if, you're, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. And so tonight, I wanted to share with you this, this concept of, but I don't do politics, and kind of share with you why the church is part of politics in America and we're uniquely 
located in history in that, uh, in, in, in that vein. So to whom much is given, much is required. Um, and we've been given so much. Um, and I wanted to share a quote with you. Adelaide Stevenson said this, patriotism is not a short frenzied outburst of emotion but the tranquil and steady dedication of a lifetime. This quote uh, has been very, I don't know, it's very poignant to me over the years uh, because your dedication of a lifetime sometimes seems too long. It seems like, okay, I did my part, goodness, you know, can we move on? But as the American church, we can't ever just move on because when you look at our founding, we helped to, to give birth to this form of government. So I was, you know, I served as a state rep down at the state house, and we were in a, in a discussion one time about a moral issue that we were trying to decide. And one of the legislators looked at me and he said, well, wh where's the church? Where's the church? <laughs> and we all looked at each other and another legislator said, we're right here. We are the church. And we're here and we're supposed to make a difference. It's not like the church should come down to the state house and lobby. That's why they elected us. We're, we are elected to represent Christ there in the state house. It's so important that we realize that we have, not just as the American church, we don't have, have a, you know, a mandate to get our own house in order. But we were, you know, Marlon and I, when we were um, serving the state of Indiana, which was the, the biggest honor of our lives, we were able to go on several delegations, uh, congressional delegations, um, and we were able to visit other countries. And we were visiting some Eastern Bloc countries, which are usually overlooked, you know, um, because Russia is so big and other, other countries are so big, um, they're usually overlooked. And so they're telling us, we want to do trade with you, you know, here's our agriculture, you know, products and here's what we manufacture. And they were so positive, you know, we, we just love America, we want to work with you. But then at the end, these are members of their parliament or the elected body, they would tell us, but you know, one thing that we don't want you to export is your morals. It was hard to hear, but it really hit you between the eyes and you thought, you know, they see it. They see that we've kind of lost our way and they don't want that part. So when we get our house in order as a church, as the American church, we don't get our house in order just for us. Uh, we get our house in order because we are leading, whether we like it or not, and the world is watching and we affect the world. So the responsibility on our shoulders is not just for America, uh, it is for the world. And I'll get, I'll get to that later on. But how many of you have ever heard somebody say, but I'm so busy trying to make it to me, what difference can I make? Have you ever heard somebody say that? I mean, does it really make a difference, you know, whether I vote or not? Um, oh, I, I got a clicker. Let's see if it works. All right. Um, it makes a noise. All right. Does that work? Okay, well, this is not operating tonight. Okay, for some reason. Okay, it makes a noise, that's great. <laughs> it's saying something. All right, so the first thing you can do, I'm just gonna give you some, some practical things you can do and then we're gonna get into uh, the, the weeds here. But serve God, first of all. Make sure that you're serving God. Serve your family, serve your business, employees, your community. Reinforce your understanding of God's truth 
and America's founding principles. And by the way, we have access to so much information. Please make sure you're getting the right information. I think that's why TPUSA is doing this. I think that's why, you know, Heritage Foundation. I think that's why wall builders exist. There's so many good sources of information. My dad used to tell me, make sure you know America's Christian heritage because that's what it is. Um, so make sure you're getting the right information to share with your children. Then take every opportunity to consciously teach your children truth. Now this can be in the car driving down the road and you see an advertisement and all of a sudden you're, um, you're just kind of saying, kids, why is that a good advertisement? Or why is that a bad advertisement? Take the chances to teach your kids. Uh, it's so important. And also your grandchildren as well. The next thing we need to do is know our rights, um, know our rights as um, citizens and exercise our right of free speech and expression. Um, they're trying to take that away from us today. They're trying to intimidate us from speaking out. And same thing with pastors. There's so many, so many pastors that don't take the stand that Pastor Nathan and Pastor Micah have, have taken. Um, and so make sure uh, that you know your rights and you exercise your free speech and you're not intimidated. And then the other thing is to show up and be involved in your community. And that's what you're doing tonight. You're showing up. Now, one of the things that happens when you show up is sometimes you get volunteered to do things. People say, well, why don't, why don't you do this? Or, well, you know how to do that. Why don't, you, why don't you run for office, right? And that's how it happens. Sometimes if you just show up, God opens doors that you don't expect and he stretches you further than you want to go. And all of a sudden, you're relying on him even more to guide you and direct you as you move forward. Um, so my next question is, has the salt, oh, I think it's working. Has the salt lost its savor in America? New Pew Research Study says that Christianity is on track to be a minority religion in America by 2045. I'm sorry. By 2045, Christianity is on track to be a minority religion. In the 1990s, 90% of American adults identified as Christian. In 2007, 78% of American adults identified as Christian. And in 2022, 64% identified as Christian. So what that tells me is perhaps we are on a downward trend and we need to kind of do a gut check and say, wait a minute, first of all, we got to be salt and light. We've got to be God's hands, God's feet, God's mouth in our communities. Make sure people love you, know, you, know that you love them. Make sure that you're involved and in in you're aware of people's needs. Uh, but it's definitely on the downward trend. So I think it's time for a, a gut check. And I think that's when, you know, um, persecution can happen. And when persecution happens, that's when you're thrown to your knees before God. God help us. What can we do? I want to share a brief history of the church's influence uh, on American government. Um, John Stuart Mill, 1867, in his inaugural address to the University of St. Andrews said this, let not anyone pacify his conscience by the delusion that he can do no harm if he takes no part and forms no opinion. Bad men need nothing more to compass their ends than the good men should look on and do nothing. I was doing some research on my family tree. I was real, how many of you have ever gone on Ancestry.com and tried to find some, some ancestors, you know, where you came from? Okay, it's a lot of fun. I would encourage you to do it. Uh, it, it kind of, you know, tells you where you came from and, and what they were like. Well, I was doing some research and um, 
I came across a story of my eight times great-grandmother who lived during the Revolutionary War, during the War for Independence for America. And her name was Sarah Walker. And she was a Quaker, and she was a fighting Quaker. And she had a first cousin named Anthony Wayne. And he just so happened to be a general, one of George Washington's generals. And he was needing a place to camp during the winter of Valley Forge. And her house was pretty close to Valley Forge in the valley. And so he asked her if his men could encamp there. She took care of his men, fed them, you know, gave them places to sleep, made sure they were okay, and uh, just was a minister to them. Uh, she, she saved the lives of three men who were court-martialed in her, in her living room. Um, and so on her deathbed, her husband recorded that this little lady was laying there and almost gone. And I've seen this happen before where someone is passing away and then they get this last burst of energy and they say something. She sat up in bed and she looked at her family that was gathered around her and she said these words, be valiant for truth. And then she died. And it hit me sitting there in the library in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Fort Wayne, (laughs) named for General Anthony Wayne and his, his fort there that this lady had chosen the exact right thing to be valiant for. What else should we be valiant for other than truth? And today they're trying to tell you that truth doesn't exist. I've got my truth, his truth, your truth, but there is God's truth. That is the truth. And that's what we need to be valiant for. So um, when you look at the brief history of, of America, the Great Awakening paved the way uh, for the American War for Independence. Uh, all these men, have you ever heard of the Black Robed Brigade, uh, the Black Robed Regiment, where all the pastors were preaching from the pulpit about you know, individual responsibility to God and individual uh, relationship with God, and it affected everything. How many people were affected by those sermons? Well, there was one man that kind of sticks out to me. Uh, his name was Reverend John Witherspoon. He was a clergyman, he was a preacher, And he was also the Princeton College president. So he was in education. He was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. And his influence on our country uh, was just staggering to me when I started realizing what all he did. His students included 12 members of the Continental Congress, which formed our Constitution, 49 congressmen, 28 senators, 37 judges, including three Supreme Court judges, 10 cabinet officers, and one president, James Madison, the father of the Constitution. One man and his influence on our country through education, through preaching, he wrote books, one man. So when you ask, yeah, can I make a difference, really? I mean, I'm just so busy making it. Yes, yes, you can. Influence those around you. Um, so talking about other, other influences through our, through our, um, our history, there were great revivals actually during the civil war. And I encourage you to look this up. There were great revivals that swept through the Northern troops and the Southern troops. And those laid the groundwork for future, uh, protection of our, of our liberties. And I would definitely encourage you to look that up. There was also influence of evangelists in the 1900s. Billy Sunday, Dwight L. Moody, Peter Marshall, Billy Graham, all of these names we're familiar with, but they had an influence on those who would lead eventually. In fact, President Eisenhower, Dwight D. Eisenhower, 
was very affected by it, and so his whole family was. He established a national day of prayer. He established a national prayer breakfast. He put under God on our currency. He put in God, I mean, I mean under God in our um, pledge, and it, in God we trust on our currency. All under Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was hugely affected. He was the only president, sitting president, who decided to be baptized while he was in office. Uh, hugely, hugely influenced by these men. And then also President Ronald Reagan, and I'm sure some of you remember uh, some of the things that happened under him. The Million Man March, the Christian Coalition, the pro-life movement, all were lit on fire during his presidency, right before and then after. Um, there were revivals in the 1950s. Um, there was a close bond between Christianity and evangelical Protestantism in particular, and the American presidency began to form in the 1950s. That decade was a time of extraordinary religious revival. Church membership rose from 49% of Americans in 1940 to 69% in 1960. There was a huge revival and a huge stirring of God uh, in America. And uh, all of those things affected um, our presidents and our policies. So let me ask you this question. Why are you now on the front lines? As just an everyday citizen, why are you on the front lines? Well, first of all, um, there's division, hate, ignorance, misinformation, and even anarchy in some places around the country. We've all seen it. Our cities being burned, you know, um, un unbelievable riots going on. The enemies of freedom have become emboldened in their attempt to destroy the foundations of American greatness. We've seen that as well. The next generation has been indoctrin indoctrinated by the disciples of socialism, communism, and the Great Reset Movement. Um, the truths of our founding documents and principles of representative government have been erased and undermined by design, by design. And so that's why we have to be aware and ready with an answer. So there's another part of this that puts you on the front lines, and it just happened recently. How many of you have heard of the Dobbs decision with the Supreme Court of the United States? Okay, so the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I think we need to celebrate that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It was huge. We worked for 50 years for that. So thank you, Lord, for giving that answer to us. Now, what it does is it put our states on the front lines of that fight. And the work isn't done. It's not done. And the other side is not going to give up. So we can never give up. We have to be ready on the state level. So I want to ask you a couple questions. How does the Dobbs decision affect abortion law? Is abortion illegal now? No, that's the right answer. No, it's not. So in Indiana, we, we just passed a great, strong pro-life bill, but at the same time, it didn't go as far as a lot of us would like to, it, to have gone. So there's still work to do. We still need to do work on, on adoption. We still need to do to work on our foster care system. There's so much that needs to be done. So it's not, the work isn't over and we can't rest on our laurels or get apathetic about it. Here's a question for you. Is abortion a federal issue anymore? Is it just a state's issue? That's a trick question. So my answer is yes and no. Um, when you think about the Mexico City policy that Reagan implemented, um, it has been rescinded and reenacted over and over again by various presidents. It's my, just my personal opinion, but I truly believe that there is a way to make that our permanent policy internationally. We should not fund, we should not send any helpful funds to, to um, governments who support abortion or prom promote abortion. <clears throat> So Trump expanded that a lot, but the next question is, is it enough that your state legislators say they're pro-life? 
No, thank you. Yes, yes, that's, that's, that's the right answer. Um, we have to find out where exactly they stand on pro-life and how pro-life are they. And it brings me to another point. Um, the fight for the school boards that you've seen going on here, uh, Florida, Virginia, there's been a lot of people stepping up to the plate and running for school boards, commissioners, health commissioners, local uh, things. Should you be concerned about whether someone running for that office is pro-life? Yes. Why? Because if they get elected to school board, what will they run for next? And next? And next? If you don't vet them in the beginning, you're going to regret it. Because they're harder and harder to get out of office the higher they, they go. So make sure that you are vetting your candidates on every level. Okay? So um, here's a couple things that I think we can do. Um, the next slide is, does my vote even count? Um, I'll tell you this, Marlon won his first uh, campaign by 249 votes. Um, there's been people that have won by five votes. You know, every vote counts, especially on those local levels, so please don't think that your vote doesn't count. Um, Family Research Council reports that with most elections being decided by smaller and smaller margins, we cannot win the public debate over the critical issues of faith, family, and freedom if like-minded Americans stay home on election day. Champion the Vote estimates that out of 60 million Christians in the United States, only 30 million of them vote in any given election or even register to vote. And that number is decreasing each election. Um, I would encourage you to go to ivotevalues.org. It lists registration deadlines for all 50 states. So you have a question from a friend who's in another state, when's your registration deadline? Look that up. Uh, you can share that with them. There's, I, we have so much information at our fingertips. Um, what can Christians do? Christian citizens can help others register to vote by hosting a voter registration event by contacting unregistered people in their areas, and this is a good website to go to, ncsl.org research elections campaigns, um, making announcements in the church bulletin or from the pulpit encouraging members to remind friends, family, and Christians to be sure they're ready to vote in November. Um, these are all things that are easy to do, practical to do, and you can get to work on them right away. Um, effective ways to reach your legislator. Uh, write these down, take a picture if you want to, I'm gonna go through them really quickly. Um, first of all, attend campaign events to establish an in-person relationship. You want to meet that person in person, if at all possible. Um, subscribe to their email updates. You can tell a lot by what they send out to people. Get to know their campaign team, especially their campaign manager. They will be critical in getting a hold of them once they get elected. Uh, volunteer for parades, festivals, door-to-door, -door phone banks. How many of you have done that before for a, cam for a candidate? You've been involved? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, um, email, phone call versus in person um, is, email and phone call is great, but if you can meet them in person, it's even better. Uh, when you go to talk to your legislator, especially on the state level, or someone who's making a decision uh, about a, a critical issue, make sure you realize that the legislative process and the decision process is, it changes. Okay, so you might have information about the, uh, the, the, the uh, subject matter that you wanna talk to them about, but it might have changed in committee meeting, or it might have been amended, or it might have been just voted, voted down. So if they give you new information, make sure that you're open to hearing that. As a state legislator, I had people come to me and say, and they had all their information, which was great, and they said, this is what I want you to do, and I would have to tell them the bill is dead. And they would argue with me and say it's not. 
Well, there was only so much I could do. They had voted down the bill. There was nothing else I could do other than to re reintroduce it the next legislative session. So please be open to uh, facts like that. And then bring useful data to the table. Uh, legislators are always looking for data. Okay, so bring them information. And then when you lobby your legislator, make sure that you're kind. <laughs> make sure that you realize that they're human. That especially Indiana state legislators, they're part-time. They go home and, and they work after the legislative process is over. So make sure that you're kind uh, to them and you present your, uh, your case uh, nicely. All right, so moving on to the next slide here. So understanding the legislature, I'm gonna go through this really quickly. Um, the state level can be full or part-time. We have a part-time legislature. We have a House and Senate. They're usually determined by the population numbers and you can look that up. There's a committee process. There's caucuses, and let me explain this. I've had some questions about this. There's a difference between holding a caucus with precinct committee men, and I'm, just out of curiosity, how many of you are precinct committee men here? One. That is something you can do, okay? So sign up to be a precinct committee man because what happens is they call a caucus when someone steps out of office, when someone dies in office, when there's an opening, they call a caucus of precinct committee men. Well, I have been a part of several that made huge decisions. In fact, one that just determined a, con a congressional member, a member of Congress, was determined by a caucus of precinct committee men. So it's, it doesn't require you to do much except to show up to vote. And you know, it takes about a day. You know, it's kind of like you know, eight hours out of your day. But when you're determining a big election like that, that's huge. So contact your local um, party chair and tell them that you would like to run for a precinct commitment or just sign up yourself. Um, the majority go home and live in their district either full-time or after session. And then the power of the incumbency on the state level is not quite as strong as when you get to the federal level. So talking about the federal level, um, it's a little different. So on the federal level, um, let's see here. I'm sorry, I didn't give you all this information. I'll let you take pictures if you want to real quick. There we go. All right, and then the federal level is a little different here. So the federal level is full-time. Uh, the only breaks that they get are August and then Christmas, basically. So if you want to contact your congressman in, in, you know, face-to-face, -face, make sure that you know when they're home. And the majority of them are home in August, working in the district. So look for events happening then, and then also during the Christmas break as well. Um, the House is elected by population numbers, and the Senate is each state gets two. All right, and then the committee process, caucuses, and leadership. So in, um, in the House and Senate, especially, in, well, in Indiana, but also in the federal level, you have the, the Republicans get together and caucus together. They talk about what they're gonna do, they talk about policy, they debate among themselves, and then they go out and they debate on the floor. Same thing in the, on the federal level as well. So there's, that's a different caucus compared to a caucus is gonna elect you know, a state rep uh, position. All right, and then the leadership roles, the leadership controls the debate a lot more on the federal level than the state level, okay? State level, you're having a lot more open debate. Federal level, it is very controlled. Uh, the leadership determines what you're, gonna, what you're gonna hear and what you're gonna talk about. And the majority live in DC and only return home on weekends. A lot of them have their families that live back in the district, uh, but the majority of them have to live there because it is a full-time job, and they have August and holidays. And the, the power of incumbency on the federal level is very, very strong. 
All right, so local service and opportunities, please consider running for school board, for commissioners, and go to these meetings. Go to your school board meetings, go to commissioner meetings, town council meetings, county council meetings, party dinners and receptions. Make sure that you're going to those. That's where you're going to get a lot of information, and that's where you're going to meet the candidates that you're going to be voting for on the, on the ballot. And then please serve a precinct committeeman, vice precinct committeeman. That's kind of like the backup. You know, if the, if the precinct committeeman can't go, then you go. All right, and then zoning boards, parent groups and activities are more important than ever before right now, having a voice in your school and what's going on in the curriculum and things like that. So should you run for office? First, assess the need. What is the need there? And then second, um, make sure that you are looking at the qualifications for the job. Do you feel, feel the qualifications? Um, and then next is fundraising. Do you have to? Yes. Yes, you do. It takes money to get your message out. So a lot of people don't like that part, but guess what? It is a worthy cause, and people will give to you if you stand for what they believe in. So make sure that you're fundraising. Um, and then why? Well, because that's just the way things are right now, unfortunately. Um, and then choosing your platform, make sure that you know what you're going to run and why you're running. Okay, you've got to have issues that you're running on and the things you're gonna do. Um, and then here I wanna share the advantage of faith and decision making. My husband was 25, 26 years old when he was first elected to the state house. And there were certain moral issues that were coming up for debate. And there were, there were people there that were really, really struggling uh, with these decisions. And some of the decisions uh, weren't so hard for Marlon. And we couldn't wrap our minds around why wasn't it hard for him and it was hard for others. And one of the conclusions we drew was that his faith was guiding him. There were certain things that were just black and white, right or wrong. He didn't have to go to sleep at night struggling with this decision. So your faith is going to help you uh, in those decisions, and uh, it's going to guide you um, and help with others as well. And then the last point is dismiss the title. Please dismiss the title. One of the best pieces of advice, if you get elected, that we, were, we received was, you're a steward of that title. That title belongs to the people. And the next person that gets that title, they're going to steward that title, but it's not yours. And as soon as you start identifying as this, this is part of who I am, you're, you are susceptible to compromise because you're willing to hold on to that title for anything. Don't hold on to it. It's not yours. It's the people's. All right. And then uh, the last thing I want to leave you with is this, the global influence of the American church. I'll share a story with you and then I'll close. But we were in Israel um, on, this, on a congressional delegation trip, and we had a guide um, who told us very, very clearly that he was a citizen of Israel, but he was not a practicing Jew, and he was not religious at all. So, okay, great. Most of the people we were with, uh, we were in prayer groups together and Bible studies together, and so we knew that they were Christians, and they took us to the Mount of Beatitudes. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but it is just a life-changing experience. And this guide turned to Marlon and said, would you read Matthew chapter 5? Standing there on the Mount of Beatitudes. And Marlon said, of course I will, yes. So he took the Bible and he read the chapter. And of course, a lot of us had our lump in our throat. It was just surreal. And then after he was done, the guide said, go back, go back and read uh, chapter, uh, verse 14 and 16. So Marlon went back and he read, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. He wrote those verses. And then he stopped and the guide looked at us and he said, now you are all members of Congress, of the U.S. Congress, right? We said, yes. And he said, as the citizen of Israel, I just want you to know that you have done this thing that Jesus said to do. He said, America's done that. He said, but I'm, I'm just asking you right now, please don't stop. 
He said, if you stop, I don't know who's going to be a light to the world. He said, we've recognized what you've done, but we need you. It hit me. It hit me really hard. It hit Marlon. We all started crying because we realized that not only do we get, need to get our house in order for our children and our grandchildren and the next generation of Americans, but we need to get our house in order to lead the world so that the church can do what it's supposed to do. The Pilgrim Fathers said, they came here that the glorious light of the gospel should shine throughout all the world. And it has, but we can't stop. We started this thing and we need to finish it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.